0: Somebody give the Lord some praise. Are there any overcomers that can testify with your worship? It is by the grace of God. It is by the goodness of the Lord that we are standing here today. Somebody give him praise in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let's do it the Bible way. Clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. With a voice of overcoming, we praise you tonight, God. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. I feel the Holy Ghost up in here. Somebody give him praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. How many loves would they feel in the presence of the Lord here tonight? Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord here. Tonight, as we continue on in our Bible study, amen, praise God, hallelujah, amen, we're going to be getting into that one next week, brother, so we're going to go back to the one that was right before that. We kind of stay on one subject for a little while, and uh, you know, really when we're dealing with Genesis, we're dealing with the beginning of all of the theologies and doctrines that we come out with and so we're taking our time on this and uh doing it with intent and so i believe god's gonna help us here tonight if you turn your bibles the book of genesis chapter 14 and uh, i said genesis 15 last week and some of y'all were trying to figure out where i was uh, but it's genesis 14 and brother ryan let me know i was in the wrong chapter so uh, but if you look at my bible at the top of the page says genesis 15 but it wasn't until a little bit later. Man, I also want to say it's good to have Anthony and Julie back in the house of the Lord with us. Amen. God bless you. Praise God. Genesis chapter 14 and verse number 18. I'm going to recap real quickly, but I do want to take a little bit of time because uh, we talked a little bit last week about the blessing that was upon Abram. And uh, I, I do think it's important for us to take a little bit of time and take a moment uh, to, to go through this and to understand what is happening here. So verse 18 of chapter 14, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. This is a typology of the New Testament or the New Covenant. This is a, a, an Old Testament typology of communion. It's the first time that you ever see this. Jesus was also one that brought forth bread and wine. And he was the priest of the Most High God. This is a a symbol of breaking open and starting a new covenant. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed the Most High God, which had delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And this is what Abram did in response to that. And he gave him tithes of all. And uh, we talked about this a little bit just in passing But I want to let you know here today that this concept of tithing is not a law-based concept. Some people would say, well, we're not under the law anymore. And as I've mentioned in this Bible study many times, there are three parts to the law. There is the ceremonial part of the law. There is the civil part of the law. And then there's the moral part of the law. So if you're taking notes, those are the three you can write down. Ceremonial, civil, and moral. Morality never changes. Thou shalt not kill is still thou shalt not kill. Well, brother, I just, I'm not under the law anymore. Uh, and so I just thought I'd just let him have it. No, you can't do that. Moral laws don't change. And uh, in fact, the moral law got even greater under grace. He says if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. If you look on a woman to lust, you've already committed the act of adultery in your heart. So the moral law actually got greater. People think uh, sometimes when they talk about grace, again, it's a misunderstanding of grace and what grace is and what grace is not. But they think, well, I'm under grace, so therefore I've got a ticket to do whatever I want. That's not what grace is. Grace is a higher law. Amen, it's a heart-based law. It's a greater uh, a greater law. And so there's also uh, the, the civil law. Well, civil laws are like the speed limit here in Carson City. The speed limit here in Carson City is not the same as what it is on the Audubon. You got no speed limit out there. You drive as fast as you want. Uh, And so you can't take the laws of Carson City and take them out to Germany and then work, right? Because you're not under their, you're under a different civil law. And so here we are living in America, we're under a different civil law. So there's a lot of laws in the Old Testament that become civil. And then there's laws that were ceremonial. These are things like the sacrificial system. And those were accomplished, and Jesus said, I didn't come to erase, I came to fulfill. Jesus, according to Hebrews, became our perfect sacrifice. He became our high priest. Amen. He became the Lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world. He became the better sacrifice. He became all of these things that Hebrews talks about, him being a better high priest, him being a better sacrifice. He fulfilled all of those ceremonial laws. This is why we don't sacrifice bulls and goats anymore, because Jesus went into the Holy of Holies, according to Hebrews, and offered himself one time. And that one time was enough to wash away all the sins of the world. And somebody give the Lord some praise for that. Amen. And uh, if you have your Bible, Hebrews chapter 9, just to give us a little context. And then we'll be going back towards uh, Genesis, but we'll make a pit stop in Malachi. Hebrews chapter number 9. We'll read one verse of scripture just for the sake of time but if you want to go back later you can read this entire it's a wonderful discourse if you were looking at the book of hebrews as a little side note the book of hebrews is is eloquently done again whether you believe it was written by paul or as some of us do he was it was written by apollos who the bible says was mighty in the scriptures his entire intent of writing the book of hebrews is he is taking the every old testament thing he can find And he is proving that Jesus is better than it all. In fact, that's the the, he is a more excellent. He is a more perfect. He is better. You'll find that those phrases all the way through the book of Hebrews. And it is showing that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ. It is it is, again, a masterful piece is why we all love Hebrews chapter 11. Right. It's the faith chapter. Uh, And what is he really doing? He's doing this perfect discourse about people living by faith, living by faith, living by faith. And then it continues in chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Okay, so, amen. So we have here in Hebrews chapter 9, he's doing this discourse, and he pulls this obscure figure from the Old Testament that doesn't seem, uh, that only shows up for those verses that we read. He doesn't show up any other place but verse uh, verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 9. I'm sorry, I'm actually, I think I'm in the wrong, the wrong part of that. Let me get the correct Hebrews chapter 7. I wanted to go to Hebrews 9 because that's where Jesus offers himself as a perfect sacrifice. Amen. Chapter 7. All right, let's see. There we go. Verse 10 of chapter 7. Sorry about that. Let's go verse 9, just for the sake of of context. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 9. And as I may say so, or so say, Levi also, who received tithes, again, Old Testament law, who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. Seems very interesting, that, that way that he breaks that down. Verse 10. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Amen. And he's using this discourse to show, amen, that Jesus, there needed to be a better priesthood than even that of the Levitical priesthood. He is saying that, in essence, even Levi made obeisance to a greater priesthood, Levi being the priesthood of the Old Testament. And we find that Jesus is, in fact, our great high priest. Amen. And so Jesus is our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Levi paid tithes inside of Melchizedek. And so we find from this that tithing is not an Old Testament law-based principle. Before you even get to the law, before you even get to Moses, before you even get to Levi being born, while he is still in the loins of his father Abraham, he is a tither. And everybody said amen. Let's go to Malachi chapter 3. Man, it's the last book in the Old Testament before you get to the book of Matthew. So if you're having trouble finding that, just go to the book, book of Matthew and turn back one page. Amen. Book of Malachi, chapter 3 and verse 10. One of the, This is the last prophet of the Old Testament, one of the last writings, and he's giving us an understanding of this concept of tithing. Now, we could talk about it all the way through the Bible if this was the entire Bible study, but this is just a recap here today. We're talking about the blessing that was upon Abram, and uh, he paid tithes of all. Tithe literally means 10%, and that is what God required all the way through the Old Testament. Abraham did it. Isaac did it. Jacob even promised while he was backslidden, if you'll bring me back in peace, I'll give you a tithe of all. And so uh, let's look at this principle That the prophet brings forth out as a mouthpiece of God. Verse 10. uh, Verse 10 of Malachi chapter 3. This is the question. Will a man rob God? Or another question that could be asked. can Can a man rob God? Is it even possible to rob God? That is the question that is being asked in the Old Testament. And the answer is yes. Because this is what God replies. You have robbed me. Which means it is possible. And they say wherein or how have we robbed you he said you robbed me in tithes and in offerings amen you are and this is the next part which is difficult a lot of a lot of places don't want to talk about this but this is in the bible he said you are cursed with a curse i don't want to be cursed i want to live under a open heaven i want to live under a blessed heaven how about you he said this is why you're cursed because you have robbed me this entire nation this is his remedy for robbing god to go back and to live in obedience and accordance with the Scriptures. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, say the Lord. This is the only place that the entire Bible where God gives an opportunity for people to prove him. If When, when Jesus showed up and they said, Lord, give us a sign, they were saying, God will prove you with a sign. Give us a sign. And he said, you're a perverse generation. The only place where God ever allows mankind to prove Him is not in miracles, signs, and wonders. Amen. It is in their giving. Amen. You can look through the Bible. You find another passage. You find me. Let me know, and I'll preach it. Praise God. But I've looked up and down. It's the only place where God said, prove me. If I will not open the windows of heaven. A couple Bible studies ago, we talked about the last time God opened the windows of heaven. You remember where that was? The flood. The flood. And it filled so much of the earth that it covered the entire mountains and everything underneath was covered. And he's using that same symbolism that if you will be a giver, not just a tipper, but a tither, you will receive an open heaven. I will open up the windows of heaven and I will pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And then he goes even further. Verse 11 and i will rebuke the devourer for your sakes and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground neither shall your vine cast her fruit before thine time before the time in the field saith the lord of hosts I want to tell you, if you are wondering whether or not God is a blessing God, you just got to look, amen, about the story of Abraham. You just got to look at the story of Isaac, who in the time of famine, sowed in that land and received a hundredfold. You just got to look at Jacob, who said, Lord, if you'll be with me, I'll give you a tithe of all. And God poured out so much blessing that he he ended up, amen, having to split and to divide it out when his brother Esau came to him. He had so many things. The windows of heaven had been opened up in his life and he was blessed and everybody said amen and so it is a it is not just a law-based thing it is a genesis to revelations thing to be a tither and everybody said amen And so god promised abram that he would make him a great nation he would bless him abundantly he promised that his children would be as many as the sand of the seashore and the stars of the sky Amen. And this threefold promise we talked about last week. Everybody say financial. Well, I don't believe God blesses that way. How else is he going to represent to the world that he's a blessing God? He needs somebody to bestow his blessing upon. Now, I want you to understand, when I say blessing, I'm not just talking about materialism. That's Although it might come in a material way. There are many other blessings, but you better believe that God will bless you financially there is there you you you've come too late amen I you just got to read your bible a little bit and see so many people were financially blessed in the bible even when you get to the new testament well brother that was just the old testament well get to the new testament church the bible says they sold houses plural and lands plural to keep revival going so they were blessed financially and this promise was upon abraham i'm going to bless you financially And the Bible says he had herds and cattle, he had gold and silver, he had uh, had people under him working, he had all these things, more than he had room to even handle it. Amen. He was blessed with an open heaven. Next, he was blessed with a physical blessing. God said, I'm going to bless you with children, and these children are going to inhabit the earth, and they're going to be more of the sand of uh, the seashore and the stars in the sky. And uh, I joked about it last week. But if you take 23 and me, you probably got a little Hebrew blood in you. And so it's a promise that God gave. And you really got to look at it, not from our religious background. But we're talking about this is a guy in the middle of the desert who God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And there's going to be kings and priests that are going to come out of you. Every all of these other nations of the earth are going to be blessed by you and by your heritage. And here we are sitting today Thousands of years later, still talking about this guy, Abram, because really when we look at the lineage, amen, Jesus Christ came out of the loins and out of the lineage of Abraham, a guy in the middle of the desert because he obeyed and followed God. Let's give God praise for that. Amen. So God will bless you financially, God will bless you physically, and then finally he'll give you spiritual blessings. Amen. And and the Bible would later tell us this, and uh, we talked about it a little bit on Sunday, that That he prayed and he said, I pray for you that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And we talked about last week Galatians. We won't go back into that. But Galatians says that by faith we are the children of Abraham. That means every blessing that was upon Abraham can be upon you. And you receive that when you get in Jesus Christ. All of those blessings now are translated. The Bible says we become heirs with Christ Amen. Joint heirs with Christ. Thank God for that. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 16. And uh, we're going to we're gonna continue on in the story of Abram. And we're going to go through his life. But I wanted to take a little bit of a moment for those that would say, Well, I, I don't know about that. Well, if you have any questions, come see me. We'll talk about it. And uh, we'll talk about the word of God a little deeper. But Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Bible says this, now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And notice this next part. And she had a handmaid that was an Egyptian. We've made mention of this, that in a hard time and in a time of famine, they made a detour and that detour ended up causing them more problems and more grief than if they had just stayed and trusted God in that time of famine. They ended up taking a detour It ended up costing Lot everything. And here we're about to see that it's going to cost Abram some stuff as well. So they got a handmaid. She's an Egyptian. Her name is Hagar. Verse 2, And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, notice this, the Lord. The Lord. Whose fault is it? The Lord is what she says. Hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into my maid that I may also obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. In verse 3, and Sarai, Abram's wife took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land. You know, sometimes when you're in waiting for a promise from God, we can get a little discouraged. Hey, Amen. I, I don't want to just teach you biblical history. I want to teach you some practical things. Ten years is a long time. Ten years to wait for God to do something is a very long time. Ten years without any hope, any sign of things working out is a very long time. And it got to Sarai that she started even blaming God. It was God's fault. He told us if we came out here, he would do it. And it's been ten years and it hasn't happened. And so they decided instead of waiting on God, we're going to do something without the help of God. Verse 3, they were in the land of Canaan and 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 gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And uh, what's interesting about this is they waited 10 years for God to do something. And when God didn't move in their time frame, they started doing things that they thought was best. And notice how things started to happen immediately. Amen. Just because you're in waiting doesn't mean that God's not working. God is working while you're waiting. But if we're not careful, we'll get ahead of God. And, and you're about to see that this Ishmael becomes a big problem and it's still a problem in our world today. Amen. this is no longer just a biblical problem. This has become a Middle East problem, all because they didn't want to wait on God. And So this happens to all of us. We get to a place where we are waiting Sarai and Abram, they got to a place where they stopped believing on God for a child of their own. And they decided we're going to take matters into our own hands. Verse 2, she blamed God. She got frustrated with the process. Amen. Can I just talk to everybody for a little bit? Don't get so frustrated with the process that you interrupt the promise that God has for you. There are people that they get, they're so focused on the process and how painful it is that they start to say, well, I'm going to just step out of the process. This is like being on the potter's wheel and your life is going in circles and you feel like your life's out of control. But the truth is the pottery is only made while the wheel is spinning. But you got to stay on the wheel. I didn't come to preach, but I feel a preach on me. You've got to stay in the process of God. And if you step out of the process of God, your clay will harden into a a design that God never intended for it to be. Hallelujah. If we get out of the process of God because his time frames don't line up with our time frames and what we want. You know, we often are cool with the will of God as long as it aligns with the will of us. In fact, I know a lot of people, you know, everything becomes confirmation when they've made up their mind. And they start thinking, well, it's the will of God. Well, the truth is it was the will of you that you've made the will of God. And now you've got off of the potter's wheel and you've started to harden to that idea. And this is exactly what happened with Abram. They got off the potter's wheel and they said, let's do it our own way. We don't like the way God is doing it, so let's do this without God. And, uh, you know, some people, they live for God without God they live in well i'm just brother i'm just walking with god no no you're walking with you and calling it a walk with god the problem is you become god and this is exactly what happened when when we take when we take this into our own hands we start becoming god in our own life it's the will of me it's the will of my life and so this is what happened she got so frustrated with the process that she ended up almost canceling out the promise altogether because we're about to find out it caused problems immediately that thing that she thought was such a great idea, that thing that she made a choice for, all of a sudden now begins to despise her. And we'll find out later in our next future Bible studies that, that the mistake that they made persecuted the miracle God had for them. And they thought, well, this is, the, this is perfect. I'll get it by human means and by human effort. This is, a, this is an Old Testament shadow of the law. It's by human effort. But grace is by God's work, not our work. It's by grace are you saved, and not of yourselves It is the gift of God. Amen. It is by the miracle of God. It is by the promise and prophecy of God. It is not by the work of man. And Hagar, as Galatians will say, is an allegory of the Old Testament Sinai giving of the law. And here she is. It's by man's work and by man's effort. We will accomplish the will of God by our own effort. And Abram conceives a child out of their frustration with the process of God. And they think, look, we have received the promise of God. We've got it finally after all this time. But immediately that 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 Hagar started persecuting and started despising Sarai. And she realizes after the bad decision, how bad of a decision it was. And this is the challenge of life. And it's. Uh, it is probably one of the harshest things to tell people, and to, when you're dealing with people, is that decisions have consequences. And there are decisions that we make. God will forgive every decision you make. But life is not as forgiving. Amen. We believe in grace and forgiveness and mercy, but life is not so forgiving. You make certain decisions, you can't go back in time and undo those decisions. So, this is why it's very important for us to wait on God, to wait on His timing to wait on his word, because it's so much better to have waited and get what God said and what God had promised than for us to go and do it our own way and regret it every day after the fact. And everybody said amen. So Abram conceives a child with the handmaiden Hagar. Hagar despises Sarai, and Sarai deals harshly with her because of this conflict. Now what she thought was such a great idea is creating conflict in the home. Amen, and and God sends an angel who finds Sarai or finds Hagar by a fountain of water. Mind you, she's still carrying a child of Abram. So God is now taking care of this unborn child because He promised, "I will bless your children." This blessing that was never meant to be—it's—it's kind of like this: that people go, "Well, what happens if I miss the will of God?" You know, like when they say, "Well, I don't know if I married the right person." Maybe I missed the will of God. It's the will of God now. <laughs> I don't know if I was supposed to have this kid. It's the will of God now. Amen. Instead of worrying about what could have been, what should have been, you got to just move on with what is. And so God says, I'm going to take care of Hagar, and I'm going to take care of Ishmael, and he sends an angel to show her. And this is just a side note. But if you notice what what verse number uh, 9, when the angel of the Lord shows up to uh, to Hagar, This is the answer that Hagar receives from an angel of the Lord. Angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, notice his next word, and submit yourself under her hands. Now Ishmael, we're talking strictly history at this point. Ishmael produced the Arab nations, which has produced the religion of Islam. Anybody know what one of the major tenets and pillars of Islam is? Submission. The answer is, and you can study for yourself, the answer for everything is, again, by the act and the will of man, but the answer is always submit to Allah or what they call God. That's always the answer. And so this is where the religion has actually started. It's all the way back at Abram. Abram making a decision that I'm not going to obey God. And now an angel of the Lord shows up, and no doubt, Hagar, who later raises Ishmael all by herself, puts it so deeply into him, gets it into the culture, and eventually, thousands of years later, when a guy by the name of Muhammad shows up and rejects Christianity, he starts a new religion called Islam. And one of their major tenets is, let's remember what the angel said to Hagar. Submit. Bet you all didn't know that was in your Bible, did you? This This goes all the way back. It is submit, submit, submit. Again, she is not a, this is not a child of promise. This is a child of of the law. Amen. So, that's just a little side note for you. God told in verses 9 through 12, the child would be blessed of God because he's a child of Abram. And God will not cancel out that promise. But he will not be the child of promise. God's going to take care of him and God's going to bless him. And uh, in fact, let's read verse 12. Uh, He says you're going to bear a son in verse 11 and you're going to call his name Ishmael, verse 12. But this is what the promise is over his life. He will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him and he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. When you get on and you listen to the news, you're always hearing about trouble in the Middle East. That's a fulfillment of this prophecy right here. Because of a decision that Abram made to step out of the will of God, thousands of years later, there is still trouble. And the truth is, it's just brothers fighting. It's just brothers fighting. And uh, and so, and, and now we know the answer is the grace of Jesus Christ. And it's the only thing that will mend those deep scars. And so God... God decided this is not the child of promise. I'm gonna I'm gonna bless him. He's gonna keep he's gonna be fruitful, he's gonna multiply, but he is he's gonna his hands gonna be against every man. It was a promise that that really the they're going to be an adversarial role against Israel. And today, the fiercest enemy of the people of Israel is the Islamic nation. This is why they want to destroy, because it's just brothers fighting. And we need Jesus to heal that, and uh, that will come when Jesus returns. Amen. But we need to preach the gospel of Jesus while we can. Everybody said, "Amen." Let's go down to Genesis chapter seven, verses one through six. Okay, so he's produced, he's produced Ishmael, and the Bible says in verse sixteen of chapter sixteen, he was fourscore and six years old. He is eighty-six years old. It's a long time. He's been out in the wilderness. For over ten years, and uh, and all of a sudden he gets a son by his own doing, by his own hands, and verse and here we go. Thirteen years later, chapter one or chapter seventeen, verse one. And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, "I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect." That's a high order, and near it's impossible to do without Jesus. But this is the call unto Abram. Verse two. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. He's going back to the original promise. Just because we come up with a plan B or a backup plan doesn't mean God ever had a backup plan. And we get get in trouble when we get too carnal that we start coming up with our own backup plan. And if God doesn't come through, I'm going to come through. And if God doesn't do what he can do, I'm going to do what I can do. And that produced an Ishmael. And 99 years old, God shows up and says, hey, my plan is still in effect. I got good news for everybody that's ever made a mistake. Even if you've made a mistake, I want to tell you the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Amen. God's plan A is the only plan God has. He doesn't have a plan B. He doesn't have a plan C. He doesn't have a backup plan. He's not. He's not worried when you and I make mistake. Oh no, what am I going to do now? No, God says I'm still. We're still. It's going to. We had to take a detour because you're mistake, but I'm still on track for you to get where you need to get. But you got to obey me. And there's people that think, well, I've just made too many mistakes and there's no hope for me. That's not true it's going to take you maybe a little more time, a little more effort. You're going to have to you're going to have to journey a little more. But Abram, the promise of God is still there. We will never know. And this is the danger of of making decisions without God. We will never know what could have been. We will never know. We will never know what could have happened if Cain had to kill Abel. We're not just talking about the death of one man. We're talking about the death of an entire race that might exist today if Cain had not killed him if Abel would have been able to have children, we will never know if Abram would have just waited on God and said, S- Sarai, we're not going to go that route. We're going to wait on God. Maybe God would have said, you know what, Abram, that's all I was waiting for. And he would have had a kid 13 years sooner in the will of God and in the promise. And we might not be in the mess we're in today if he would have waited on the Lord. This is why we got to wait on God. And he says, I'm going to make a covenant between you, and I'm going to multiply you. Abram fell on his face, verse 3, and, with, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, my covenant is with thee. Thou shalt be the father of many nations. Now notice verse 5. He's made mistakes as Abram. He's produced a child that God is going to take care of, and God is going to multiply, because that's the promise that he made to Abram. But he says, as for me, my covenant is with you. But there's a condition. Verse number five Your name shall not be called Abram anymore, but your name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. Little side note here. When Noah's son messed up, do you remember which son it was? And not the pork kind, Ham do you remember what the Bible says? Cursed be Canaan, the son of Ham. And in this moment, it seems like a little difference, but what's happening is you're now Abraham. And, And we're about to read, and I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. God's redeeming Ham in this moment. Praise God for that. So neither shall your name be called Abram. Your name shall be called Abraham for a father of many nations have I made thee and I will make thee exceeding fruitful and I will make nations of thee and kings shall come out of thee. Amen. He says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to make kings come out of you. But I uh, before but before we do this, I'm going to have to do a name change. We're going to have to change who you are. We're going to have to change your identity Uh, because Abram made a mistake. We're going to have to change you, Amen, to a new individual. This is this is a shadow of what Jesus does for us. God promised to multiply Abraham, and He reaffirmed that promise. That hey, I am going to I am going to bless you, but just like I told you, don't worry about Ishmael. I am going to take care of Ishmael, but I am going to change you who you are, and I am going to see. Abram has a son. But it's not the son I wanted. And I would have loved to keep my covenant with Abram. But because Abram went out of my covenant, went out of my will, and produced an Ishmael, I've got to go a different route and change him to Abraham. And Abraham only has one son, and his name is Isaac. This will make the scripture later make sense. When he says, take now your son, your only son. Somebody said, well, Abram has two sons. No, Abram has a son, and Abraham has a son. And Abraham's son is the promised child. And Abraham's son is Isaac. And Abraham's son is a typology of Christ who's going to be sacrificed for our sins. Hallelujah. I'm getting excited in a Bible study here tonight. But this, this Abram, this change seems so minute to us. But this is God saying, I'm starting everything over for you. Let's go to chapter 17, verse 15 through 19. I'm going to skip ahead and then we'll come backwards. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, just so you know, this is not just Abram's mistake. This is Sarai's mistake too. She's the one that came up with the idea. So i got to change both husband and wife. I don't want them defined by their mistakes. I don't want them defined by the decisions they made without my will. Thou shalt call her name Sarah. Verse 16, and I will bless her and give thee a son also of her, and I will bless her, and she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abram, verse 17, fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah, which is ninety years old, bear? And Abram said unto God, As many of us do. Verse 18: Oh that Ishmael might live before thee. So many of us, God shows up and says, I want to change you. I want to fix the problems. I want to fix the mistakes. And we look towards God and said, God, just just accept what I have as good enough. Just let Ishmael, God, let my way work out. Anybody ever prayed that? I know I prayed that. The pastors might be the only one that's ever prayed that. Where I do something out of the will of God, and I really want it to work out. And I looked towards heaven and said, God, let my will be done, not your will. Let Ishmael live before thee. When we make decisions, sometimes we get so invested in our decisions, we, we feel like we can't, we can't step away from them. We feel so bound to them. But I want to tell you, God told him, no, it's not Ishmael. In Isaac shall Your seed be called. It's I'm going to bless you and Sarah. Abram is gone. That's a mistake Abram made, and I'm not going to perpetuate the mistake that Abram made. I'm going to take Abraham, and I'm starting you from zero, and I'm starting you from day one, and we're going to start over with Abraham and with Sarah, and we're going to make a great nation out of Abraham and Sarah, and kings and priests are coming out of Abraham and Sarah. Let me just talk to everybody that's ever made a mistake. Let God redeem your mistakes. Let God wash your mistakes. Let God forgive your mistakes. And for heaven's sake, let God allow you to start over and let yourself start over. Oh, somebody ought to lift up your hands and magnify the Lord. Let's lift up our hands and let's magnify the Lord. Let God give you a fresh start. Accept his opportunity at a fresh start. praise god i just know too many people that they god forgives them but they cannot forgive themselves and they want to bind themselves to ishmael and they want to bind themselves to what they were and what they've done and they want to stick with that but god wants to redeem the whole man praise god amen verses 7 through 10 now here's some some requirements i'm going to make a new covenant and I'm going to change who you are. You're no longer going to be Abram. You're going to be Abraham. Seems like a minute thing to you and I, but it's not. a, it's a very big deal in the Bible. You notice through the Bible, several people got a name change. Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. Jacob to Israel you have all of these different names even Solomon who was born and called Solomon God said I've actually got a different name for you which means loved by God you go to the New Testament and you find Simon who always makes mistakes he's always he ends up rejecting and cursing and saying I don't even know who Jesus is and Jesus changes his name to Peter Little stone. You find Saul of Tarsus who has persecuted the church. And he's he's done all sorts of wicked things. And God changes him from Saul to the Apostle Paul. I want to tell you, God can change who you are. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for that. But it's going to take a new covenant. It's going to take blood to fix who you were and to make you who you're supposed to be. Verse 7, I'll establish my covenant between me and thee, thy seed after thee, and in their generations For an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger. All the land of Canaan. Again, Abram to Abraham. We're redeeming Ham. And now cursed be Canaan becomes I'm given Canaan. What was cursed, now it's become the promised land. For an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, thou shalt keep my covenant therefore Thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed ever after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man child in your generations. Notice this. Everyone. Even if it's him that's born in the house or he that's bought with money that's a stranger. This covenant, in order to be in covenant with God, everybody has to go through the same door. Everybody has to go through the same blood sacrifice and the same blood covenant. Verse 13, he that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money, he must needs be circumcised. That's a, that's a good Old Testament uh, example. And I'm going to talk about it here in a little bit about that word must. Amen. Amen. Jesus would put it this way, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. Not you could, not you might, not if you want to take a step of faith. No, you must. There's no exemptions. Whether you were born in the house, raised under a church pew, or you came in like the rest of us, stumbling into church all messed up. Amen, I want to tell you, you still got to do some things to be in covenant with God. Verse 14, and the uncircumcised man, whose uh, man child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. Amen. God told him at 99 years old, I'm going to still move forward with the promise i have for you. i've got to change some things about you though in order for this new covenant to work. the old the old man abram produced an ishmael, a type of the law, and that law was by the works of man. this is the old testament, but there's going to come a new thing that comes by the promise. it is a child born by a miraculous birth. does that remind anybody of somebody? amen. it's going to be a miraculous birth. it's going to be a man child. amen. that child's going to be born but you've got to enter into covenant with me, and it's going to be a covenant of blood. Amen. God was looking at Abraham, and he says, these are some requirements I have for you. Circumcision is going to be a sign. It is an everlasting sign. And without it, you will be cut off from God, and you will be cut off from God's people. Every boy, a child at eight years old had to be circumcised as part of the agreement. This seems so archaic and so weird, but you've got to understand the Old Testament. When you read the Old Testament, you're going to find the Bible says it is the shadow. And we talked about this a little bit. But when you see my shadow, you might be able to make out that's a hand. But you don't know uh, what color skin I have. And you don't know the, the features that make up that hand. And you don't know because you're seeing the shadow. And when we look to the Old Testament, we see the shadow. But when we get to the New Testament and we see Jesus, we finally see the the Bible says the very image, the precise image of the thing that the Old Testament was trying to show us of. When we see these gory things in the Old Testament, these sacrifices in the Old Testament, it's really pointing us towards Jesus, that one day there's going to be a child born, amen, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, amen, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. Father. amen and he's going to take away the sins of the world he's going to die on a cross he's going to be buried and three days later he's gonna rise again and this 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 sign was a visible sign and yet it was hidden it was not visible to everybody else it was visible between the individual and their God what a great symbi- symbology of what is coming This cut was to be made in the foreskin. I don't need to get into the details there. Every adult will understand what I'm talking about. Amen. But that is in your Bible. It was an intimate place. Amen. From the richest Jew Hebrew to the lowest Jew or the lowest Hebrew. For the one that was born in the royal house to the one that was bought as a slave in that society. Every single one of them. If they wanted to be in covenant with God, they had to be circumcised. And without it, you could not be in right relationship with God. It didn't matter who you were. The covenant was a necessary thing. That sign was a necessary thing. Just as Abram absolutely committed himself to God, we must also fully commit ourselves to the Lord Jesus. He becomes Lord in our life, ruler in our life, and His. And we become, Amen, covenanted by His blood and by His sacrifice. Amen. And I'm going to talk about this here today. The sign of entering the new of the covenant in the Old Testament was circumcision of the flesh. But in the New Testament, it is the circumcision of the heart. There are some things, as we talked about earlier, that pass through the Old Testament and into the New Testament and they remain unchanged. And then there's some things that pass from the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus and they take on new symbology and new meaning. This is the New Testament teaching on circumcision. If you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, and we're coming to a close here tonight. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11. You're going to go to the New Testament, and you're going to get, amen, into the epistles. Amen. In fact, Colossians is an incredible, uh, they're all incredible, but it's incredible, even talking about who Jesus is. Amen. Verse 11 of Colossians chapter 2, in fact, if you don't, if you don't see it, we're, we're talking about it right here. Gentiles become heirs, amen, as we talked about last week, amen, and, it, and and Abram believed in God. It became righteousness for him, and now we believe in Jesus Christ, and it's counted us for righteousness. And now we're getting to Colossians chapter 2, 11. In whom also you are circumcised, talking about Jesus, Amen. In whom you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. And he says in the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Again, he's taking this Old Testament covenant Abraham had to go through and he's relating it to Jesus's death, burial and resurrection. All right. And he's saying this is a circumcision that is made without hands. Hands. And how do we get the circumcision of Christ? Buried with him in baptism. Well, brother, I, I just don't know if I want to express my faith in that way. That's nowhere in the Bible that baptism is an expression of your faith. That's not in the Bible. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. It is the circumcision of the heart. Baptism is... You are buried with him in baptism, which is the circumcision of Christ. Hallelujah. And if you are buried with him in baptism, in which you are also risen with him through faith of the operation of God. What's the operation of God? The removal of sins, the removal of the old man, the removal of the old flesh, the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. And we could keep reading and I could preach on this all night. This is exciting. Verse 13, if you go through the waters of baptism, it's just letting you know what really happened. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you of all of your trespasses. What happens when you're baptized? You're forgiven of all of your trespass. You are buried with him in baptism. Amen. Verse 14, blotting out. The handwritten ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. What's that? Every sin, every failure, every Ishmael, every mistake. Amen. Notice what it says. And he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Whoo. Hallelujah. And let's just read for fun, verse 15. And having spoiled principalities, that's the devil, and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. This is what he's saying, that when Jesus was on the cross, the devil said, I got him. But the Bible later would say if the devil would have only known, he would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Because the moment he crucified him, there now became an opportunity for you and me who were dead in our sins and our trespasses to have all of our sins blotted out, washed away in the blood of Jesus through baptism in his name nailing it to the cross and Jesus on the cross said it is finished which is to tell us die which means I've won I've conquered all death hell and the grave has been blotted out and he nailed it to his cross somebody clap your hands and give the lord some praise We're going to turn to some verses real rapidly and send you send you on your way but I want to tell you Old Testament If you were not circumcised, you were not in covenant with God. You know what that means in Old Testament language? You were not saved. Mark chapter 16. Just go back to the Gospels. Mark chapter 16. So we understand, and everybody would agree, every Old Testament scholar would agree, that if you're not circumcised in the Old Testament, you wouldn't be part of the people of God. He says you're cut off. You're not saved. Okay? And we read in Colossians that baptism is now the circumcision of Christ. You're buried with him through baptism. And through that, he he blots out all of the sins and the handwritten ordinances, all of the things you ever did wrong. Okay, let's go to Mark 16 and verse number 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Well, brother, it doesn't say baptism. If you don't believe, you won't be baptized. But this verse connects directly that if you are in fact a believer, you will be baptized. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Uh, Brothers and sisters, if you're not circumcised in your heart being baptized and buried with him through baptism, I would suggest you do it tonight. We don't. We don't just believe with mental assent; we believe with every fiber of our being, and we do what the Word of God has said, and we're baptized. John chapter three, verse uh, verse three and five, Amen. Just go over a couple more, a couple more rapidly. We're doing Bible drills here today. If you've not done a Bible drill in your whole life, you're about to get one right now. John chapter three, verse five, and again, I've got all of these notes. If you want to go back and study them for yourself, you certainly can. John chapter three, let's go to verse. Now, we could read verse 1 if we wanted to, but you read about it. It's Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and he says, what do we got to do? And he says, uh, we know you're a teacher come from God. How, how, how do we know? What did you come to do? Who are you? Jesus bypasses this question in verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, I don't really think it's necessary. And well, my, my, you know, my, my cousin three times removed told me I don't need to do that. And my, you know, I went to a church one time and they told me it's not necessary. I want to tell you the Bible says it's necessary. And Jesus said it's necessary. So it's necessary. Praise God. He said, if you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Amen, verse 5, amen, verse 4, Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? What's he saying is he's proving Jesus' point. I don't understand what you meant. Do I got to crawl back up in mother's womb? Do I have to go back up there and be physically born? It's impossible physically. And Jesus says, you didn't get it. Let me say it again. Truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born of the water. Everybody say water. water. Amen, of the water. Everybody say and of the spirit. Everybody say water? Everybody say spirit. Everybody say baptism? Everybody say infilling of the Holy Ghost. You got to be baptized in Jesus name and filled with the Holy Ghost. All right, let's read the rest of it. Well, you know, brother, I just I, I, I don't know about that. Let's read it, okay? Amen, except a man. That's exceptions. There is no exceptions in the kingdom except a man is born of the water. That's how you're born again, of water and of spirit. He cannot. Everybody say cannot. cannot. I want to just prove this to everybody so that you leave this building and you never question the word of God again. Go back and study it, memorize it if you can, but I hope this gets it in your heart. If you are not born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But, brother, if you don't believe, you're not baptized, you will not be saved. And he says right here, you must be born again of the water and of the Spirit. All right, verse 7. Here we go for all of my skeptics. Jesus said this, marvel not, don't be shocked by this, that I say unto you, everybody say must. Well, maybe. No, must. Well, I just don't know if I have that gift. You must. Well, I don't know if I I don't know if I really want to express that. That's not expression of faith. I'm telling you, you've got to do it. He said you must be born again. All right. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. Amen. Hope this is all right here tonight. Acts chapter 2. This is the gospel. Amen. According to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said the gospel that we preach is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. According to Romans chapter 6, we are buried with him through baptism. According to Colossians chapter 2, we are buried with him according to baptism. And we are risen to newness of life when we receive the spirit of God inside us. Acts chapter 2. Verse, you can read the whole chapter if you want. But Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost, they all received the Holy Ghost. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them the utterance. Little side note, how do I know I've received the Holy Ghost? Every single person that received the Holy Ghost, they began to speak in a language they did not know. In fact, we didn't read it today, but you can go back and read it. John 3 and 8, if you're taking notes, John 3 and 8. The wind blows where it listeth. Old English way of saying, the wind blows where it wants. You hear the sound thereof. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. So is it. Everyone that's born of the Spirit, of the Spirit, every single person that's born of the Spirit, Jesus is saying, you will hear them make a sound. You won't see it. There won't be any physical representation, but you'll hear something. And every person that was born again of the Spirit and they got the Holy Ghost, they began to speak in other tongues. Verse number 4 of Acts chapter 2, and they were all, everybody say all. 120 in the upper room, that included all of the disciples that were left. That included Mary, the mother of Jesus. That included the 120 that were staring up into heaven. They all received the Holy Ghost, uh, and they began to speak in other tongues uh, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Praise God for that. Every person that receives the Spirit, amen, will speak in other tongues. You can look it up later. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. Every example of every person we see, they are baptized in Jesus' name. They receive the Holy Ghost and begin to speak in other tongues. Somebody said praise God. Okay, Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Peter preached to them about Jesus. Amen. Amen. He preached to them about Jesus, and when they heard what he had preached, verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked. They were convicted in their heart, and they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we got to do to be saved? And mind you, the Bible says in the verse before, Peter stood with the 11, all the other disciples, all those that heard Jesus speak, and this is what Peter tells them. Any one of those disciples could have corrected him. No, Jesus didn't say you need to be baptized. Jesus didn't say you need to repent. Jesus didn't say you need to receive the Holy Ghost. That's not what Jesus said. They could have corrected him, but they all stood up with him in agreement with what he said. Verse 38, then Peter said to them, repent. Everybody say repent. You die to your sins through repentance and be baptized. Every one of you, well, just a couple of you, just some of you that want to just those, you know, we'll just, we'll, we'll save it up for the next six months and then we'll take those and we'll get you to go down a nice swirly slide into the baptismal tank and we'll make a big deal out of it. No, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I want to tell you, the answer has never changed. You got to repent, die to your sins. You got to be baptized in Jesus' name, buried with Him through baptism, and you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, you get the resurrection power. All right, Acts chapter 10. Praise God, we're coming to a close. I I got one, two, three more passages of Scripture, and we're done there. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Peter's gone to the Gentiles and he preaches Christ to them. Verse 44, I love the way it puts this. And while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all. Everybody say all. all. No, just a couple of them, just those that had the gift. Oh no, that's that that was that that was done away with the apostles. No, that anybody that tells you that's a liar. Amen. They were all. Amen. Everybody say all. all. Praise God. And the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. And they of the physical circumcision, which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles was also poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. I got a question. How did they know they got the Holy Ghost? Verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, I got a question. Well, I got the Holy Ghost, pastor. I've spoken to other tongues. I've been born again of the spirit. Do I really need to be baptized? I got an answer for you out of the mouth of the Apostle Peter. Verse number 47, Can any man forbid water, that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? In other words, well, they got the Spirit. Is that enough? Or do we go back to what Jesus said? Except a man is born again of water, baptism, and of Spirit, they can't see and they can't enter right they've got to be buried with him through baptism and they got to be resurrected with the holy ghost and this is what peter decided and he commanded them everybody say commanded he didn't he didn't just give them this is a great idea this is if you feel like it he commanded them to be baptized how in the name of the lord amen i want to just tell you amen there's nothing better than repenting of your sins being baptized in jesus name and receiving the gift of the holy ghost Somebody ought to clap your hands and give God praise. All right. So verse 38 of of, of Acts chapter 2 says that we are, it is for the forgiveness, the remission of sins. Acts chapter 10 verse 44, which is what we just read. They were commanded to be baptized. Acts chapter 22 and verse number 16. Acts chapter 22 and verse number 16. being spoken and quoted by the Apostle Paul. And now, why tarryest thou? Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Yes, baptism really does wash away all of your sins. Baptism really does bring you into New Testament circumcision of the heart as much as it was necessary for Abraham. It is necessary for you and I today to join Jesus in the circumcision of our heart through baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost or as Jesus put it, being born again. if you have your Bibles first Peter chapter 3 verse 21. Final scripture, and then we'll have the musicians come. First Peter chapter three and verse twenty-one. In the context, he is talking about Noah and Noah's Ark, where eight souls were saved by water. Verse 21, verse 20. Now, verse 21 the like figure, or the shadow, or the typology. Of that Noah's ark where they were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Everybody say save us. Baptism saves us. Now notice this context here. It is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. We don't give you a bar of dove soap. This ain't a bath. But it is the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And one more note I'll make. Every time somebody's baptized, they are not baptized in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost anywhere in the Bible. I'll give anybody that can find me somewhere in the Bible where they were baptized in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I'll give you $1,000. You come find me if you ever find it. And if you don't find it, you give me $1,000. Praise God. Um, About to be a very rich man. Praise God. Uh, But every time they were baptized, they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. If you want to write it down, Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Brothers and sisters, baptism is not just a sign of your faith. Baptism washes away your sins. Baptism is a commandment. Baptism remits your sins. Baptism is being born again of the water and being filled with the Holy Ghost is being born of the Spirit. And according to 1 Peter, baptism saves us. And it's not just taking a bath, but it's Jesus washing our conscience through the blood that's applied. It is the circumcision of the heart. Somebody stand across the building, clap your hands, and give God a shout of praise all across this house. Come on. Are you thankful for the new covenant that is in Jesus? You don't have to cut your flesh. You got to be baptized and get your flesh under the water. You don't need to do some physical thing according to the Old Testament, but brothers and sisters, all you got to do is go under the water and have the name of Jesus called over you. What must I do to be saved? You got to be born again. Hallelujah. You got to be born again. You know, and let me just put a point out there. Oh, brother, we're not saved by works. Go back to a previous Bible study where I talked about that. Let me tell you what work is it's Abraham being 99 years old, and I won't get grotesque, but grabbing a sharp rock and then finding every eight eight day old kid and be like, come here. And finding every servant and be like, come here. Are you sure you heard from God? God said the circumcision of the foreskin. And he goes, are you sure it wasn't your skin? Come here. Oh, brother, we're not saved by works. The sharp rock on the stone and the cutting away of physical flesh, the mutilation of the body, that's work, brothers and sisters. But joining Jesus, who already did all the work, who was already Crucified, who died, who bled, who was buried and three days later rose again. Us joining him through repentance and water baptism in the name of Jesus and receiving the gift. Notice how the Bible puts it. It's a gift of the Holy Ghost. That's not work at all. That's obedience. Hallelujah. So the Bible says it over and over again, and we've talked about it. It's a circumcision of the heart. And I, got, I had more verses tonight than we had time. But you can even go to Moses, and we will eventually. They were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Water and spirit. Every one of them. This is not just something we do to be religious. We do this to be in obedience to the word of God. Amen. And I want to just encourage somebody, if you are on the fence, about whether or not you need to be baptized. Just take Jesus at his words. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. If Jesus is not good enough for you, you can go to the Apostle Peter who looked at the Gentiles as many of us are. And he said, listen, I command you to be baptized in Jesus name. If you don't like that, go to Mark where he says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Verses that people don't like to quote in church, but they're in the Bible. And if you don't like that, you can go to Peter. And he says, the like figure where into baptism also now says this. If you don't like him, you go to Paul, who talked about that baptism is the circumcision of the heart. And you could talk about Romans where he says, we're buried with him through baptism. And you can even go to his own conversion story where he says, God spoke to him, amen, and said, arise. Why do you tarry? Go and wash away your sins in baptism, calling upon the name of the Lord. Baptism is necessary. Receiving the Holy Ghost is necessary. It is the circumcision of the heart. Would you lift up your hands? I'm done teaching. Thank you for your attention. I hope this was edifying. I hope this blessed somebody. And I really hope above and beyond just education and beyond just revelation, I pray that this makes a difference where somebody makes a decision. I need to go to the water. I need to be baptized. Amen, I I need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you have never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, if you have never spoken in other tongues, it's not something you do. It's as the Spirit gives you the ability. It's as the Spirit moves on you. I want to tell you, you can have that gift here tonight. In fact, I want to open up this altar. We're going to come and pray. Amen. I want you to lift up your hands when you come to the front and just say, God, if if you've not received the Holy Ghost, begin to pray. Say, God, I want the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You told me i got to be born again of water and spirit, and I want to be born of water and spirit. It's an opportunity. It's a gift. I want you to come and just lift up your hands and begin to praise God and magnify God. If you've never repented of your sins and said, God, would you wash me? I want to tell you, you can do that tonight, and you can repent. If you've never been baptized, I want to tell you, got a baptismal taking in the back. Amen. Whether it's today, tomorrow, or on another church day, I'll baptize you in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you've never received the Holy Ghost, lift up your hands and ask God to fill you. And as surely as He filled the Jews and the 120 on the day of Pentecost, He'll fill you. As surely as He filled the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, He'll fill you. As surely as He filled the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, He'll fill you. As surely as He filled certain believers who went to church but didn't receive the Holy Ghost. He'll fill you as well. Somebody pray in this house. Hallelujah. Come on all across this building. Somebody receive this word here today. It's a great gift. It's a great story. I was lost. I was was blind. But when I received what Jesus spoke about, he changed my life.
1: Separated the breach was far too wide. But from the far side of the chasm, you held me. Come on, if you've already side. received
0: this gospel message, would you lift up your hands and thank you for the message?
1: Made away thank you for the truth. Across the great divine, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside and there at the cross you paid the debt i owed broke my chains freed my soul for the first time i had hope thank you jesus for the blood applied it has washed me white thank you jesus you have saved my life brought me from the darkness into
0: glory Come on, that's it. Let the Holy Ghost move on you. The Spirit of God is in this room. We're going to continue to worship for just a moment. But I want to tell somebody, so if you need God, you can have it right now. You can have him right now.
1: Laid inside my tomb of sin.
0: Whatever you have you need of, I want to tell you, God is able to do it right now.
1: Days, but then you walk right out again. Now death has no sting and life has no end for i have been transformed by the blood of the lamb thank you jesus for the blood of mine thank you jesus it has won
0: somebody praise him in this
1: house if you're thankful for the blood